Stacks hit us at the mattress. Racks hit us at the mattress. Packs hit us at the mattress. Gangs hit us at the mattress. Vert dipping through traffic. I'm getting better, I'm at practice. I'm working every day crafting. By the time you listen to this, I cannot guarantee that Freddie Gonzalez is still going to be the coach of the Atlanta Braves, or the manager, <laughs> excuse me. But um, we'll see. This is the Stew Pot, everybody. I am Mike Oz. And I'm Chris Swick. Welcome to the new installment of our MLB podcast here on Yahoo Sports. Uh, pleasure to say we are joined this week by a couple of all-stars. I'm not talking about you, Chris. I'm talking about uh, Dave Sadly. Winfield. Yep. Very, very famous, legendary baseball player. And Yahoo Sports' own Scott Pianowski joining us to talk about fantasy baseball. So a uh, good show this week. And, of course, I'm joined by Chris Swick like I am every week. Chris, uh, what's happening, man? Not much. I'm just enjoying the season thus far, and I'm glad that we got to talk to both of our guests, Dave Winfield, because uh, I'm I'm loving what the Padres are doing for the Home Run Derby as far as their jerseys, and Scott, because it's a good time to check in on fantasy teams right now. Did, did you steal any uh, huge cutouts of baseball players from billboards this week? Uh, I have to give a hard no comment as far <laughs> as that's concerned. <laughs> plead the fifth on that, Chris? <laughs> exactly. I'm going to plead the fifth. All right, well, lots going on in baseball, uh, lots going on in the, in the world of baseball. We're going to talk about the All-Star Game, we're going to talk about some jerseys with Dave Winfield, uh, we're going to talk about getting young people interested in the game, lots of cool stuff, and then of course we're going to go with Scott Pianowski to uh, hopefully fix your fantasy team, which, if it's like mine, it, it might be in trouble. So uh, let's do that. Chris and I will be back in a little bit. This is the Stew Pod on Yahoo Sports. Stacks hit us at the mattress. Racks hit us at the mattress. Packs hit us at the mattress. Gangs hit us at the mattress. Vert dipping through traffic. I'm getting better. I'm at practice. I'm working every day crafting. We are back on the Stew Pod on Yahoo Sports. Today we have a special guest with us, Dave Winfield, live from San Diego, where he was just today announced as a uh, official spokesperson for the 2016 All Star Game. Dave, how's it going? Oh, it's extremely good. The weather's perfect out here. So uh, Trevor Hoffman and I have received that announcement, the award, the honor. We'll be ambassadors, spokespersons, and uh, we look forward to it. So tell me, what exactly does an all-star spokesperson or ambassador, like, what do you do? What's the job? And how do I get one? Well, yeah, but primarily we're going to focus on just letting people know, you know, getting the word out about the all-star game and kind of promoting it as best we can and all the events that will be going on because it's not just a game. It's not just a home run derby. It is a fan festival, you know, at the convention center where you've got former players. You've got, um, you know, where you're really interactive with them. You have a chance for a photograph, an autograph, uh, uh, just they teach you how to play the game. You're going to see a, um, oh, they call it celebrity Home um, softball game. I played in many years, but I told him a few minutes ago, Father Time and Mother Nature caught up no more. <laughs> so <laughs> in the softball game, but that that's a lot of fun. There's a futures game. All the young kids that yeah. you're going to see probably in the next year or two. So you know, all of these things are going on. So um, by the time the weekend hits, and um, then Monday home run derby, Tuesday the the game. And all the parties in between, everyone will be glad to go home and rest after that. <laughs> but they'll have a great time in San Diego. Well, Dave, your, your resume speaks for itself, makes you a great spokesman for the All-Star Game. You're a 12-time All-Star. And I'm, I'm wondering what makes an All-Star Game memorable to you. Maybe you know, both as a player, but now, as, as you said, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. What stands out to you about a great All-Star Game? 
Well, I, this is how I'd say it. There's not just one thing. I, I was blessed to play in 12. The first All-Star game, when you just see all of the people, all of your peers that, you know, you feel perhaps I'm in the same category, I belong in the same room. When, you, when I was looking across the room, the big red machine, all those guys, the guys from the lumber company in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, the, the captain, you know, the honorary captain of the team was Willie Mays, you know, boyhood idol, Joe DiMaggio on the other side. So, you know, once you do that and, you you know, all of a sudden you get to know these guys, you feel comfortable. And then whatever the end result, and it was really team against team, league against league, and we would vie to, to, to win for bragging rights. After I finished that first one, it was like, I had so much fun and um, earned so much respect. I want to go back next year. And I worked very hard to do what it took to get there the next year and then the next year. So I won't say it's addictive. That sounds good. But it was attractive. (laughs) And I wanted to always kind of come back to the All-Star game. I almost planned it each year. And um, so it's a memory that I'll – those memories – um, are just things that I'll remember my whole career, my whole life. That I said I played the game hard, I played it right, and um, I got the results that I probably never imagined as a kid. But once I made it to the top, I uh, I thought that that's where I should be. I wanted to be. So Dave, they're they're bringing back the uh, the brown and and gold Padres jerseys for the home run derby this year, and the hats. It's all the kind of stuff mm-hmm. you used to wear. What, what do you think about them kind of going back to that, that old Padres look? I think it's good. I think it's best. that That's how people are going to, you know, you have your own brand identity. Padres established it long ago. And people that they're brown and gold, and there's going to be a tinge of orange in there. But, uh, or uh, you know, I think it's appropriate, and people will remember it, and it's unique. It's, that's the Padre brand. Are you going to wear one? Uh, whatever I'm involved in, I'm sure you'll see me in that uh, outfit. Yes, indeed. I want, I want to see you in one. We're proud. I think yeah, I look that... all right. Oh, in fact, we'll send you one. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, email or text you one. <laughs> all right, all right. Right after this podcast. Yeah, I think, uh, so those are me worn during the Home Run Derby, and I've always been a big fan of the, the Derby, but last year they introduced the new format. Um, you know, mm-hmm. did did you enjoy how, how they did it last year where individual players went up against each other? Because personally, I, I loved it. Yeah. Well, I, I thought it moved quickly, more briskly. You know, they didn't want to drag it out. They didn't want to go three hours. It seems like, uh, you know, we're shortening a few things in baseball. <laughs> Time of games and such. But, but for the home run derby, eh, it, it worked out well. I thought that, you know, I'm always in touch with the players. Um, and they were fine with it. I think the fans were and Major League Baseball and the hometown, so it worked fine. Yes, we we saw this last year in, in hockey where uh, you know John Scott got into the All Star game, and, and now this year there's kind of a campaign to get David Ross in, um, who obviously doesn't you know deserve to be an All Star based on you know past performance. He's doing pretty good this year, but do, do you think there's a place for kind of giving a guy that everyone loves a spot in the All Star game, or should it only be? you know, kind of the, the people who perform at the tip-top level? Well, you know, there's there's always a way to get guys in who may not have earned it. You know, it's a, it's a vote. And uh, so sometimes votes, you hate to say that, are in, could be influenced, <laughs> but every once in a while, um, 
you know, there's somebody that's meant a lot to the entire game, entire sport, and um, they might find a way for them to make it. So if it happens for them, I, I, I can't give anybody any instructions or no. guidance, but uh, sometimes if a guy is going out, whether they're on top or not, they've contributed to the game, it's always good to see them. Uh, Dave, something I uh, I noticed when looking up what you've done in your career is when you were with the Padres, you bought blocks of, of tickets for families that maybe wouldn't normally be able to afford to go to a Padres game. Um, I know keeping yes. young players involved or young children involved with baseball is a big thing right now. How do you think baseball can keep uh, kids to continue to play their game as opposed to you know going to other sports? Well, uh, first I'll recommend that you go to the book that I wrote in 2007 called Dropping the Ball, and there's some chapters in there that, that address some of the issues are uh, systemic. Some some have, you know, there's there's a lot of things being applied. There, both sides, Major League Baseball Players Association, the players, everybody, they're putting their heads together. I think more now than ever to try to find ways to to break through. To the kids, I, I think there's a recognition that there are there are, there's other competition in the in the marketplace, and um, you know when I grew up when I was a kid, baseball was number one. I think boxing might have been number two, and no one ever created a a, a skateboard which was a two by four with a roller skate on it. Now all of a sudden that's a world sport, <laughs> you know uh, these kind of games. So. You know, there's competition out there, and you have to be creative. You have to be bold. You have to work together, and uh, let's promote our uh, product, our players. So, Dave, you you played all over the place, uh, many cities, many teams. I want to I want to test your spokespersonness here right now. This will be our last thing, right. but but why why is San Diego why is San Diego just just the best place? Well, it's going to be the best place for the All Star Game because. The weather, the water, the you know the hotels, the food choices, the ballpark, um, the hospitality. Um, Trevor Hoffman and myself as spokespersons. There you go. All those you put all those things together, can't miss. I'm gonna give you I'll give you a passing grade on that, Dave. Thank you for uh, for spending <laughs> some time. That. We appreciate it. Take care. All right, guys. All right. Bye. I'm gonna email you a picture of me in the brown and gold. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll put it on the we'll put it up on the page, man, so everybody can see. All right. Take care. Ciao. Take care. Stacks hit us at the mattress. Racks hit us at the mattress. Packs hit us at the mattress. Decks hit us at the mattress. Vert dipping through traffic. I'm getting better. I'm at practice. I'm working every day crafting. I'm cool on Welcome back to the Stew Pod. Mike Oz and Chris Swick here with you on the Yahoo Sports Baseball Podcast. We uh, we just finished up with Dave Winfield, and we're help, uh, now welcoming another pretty awesome dude that we've had on the podcast before and happy to have back again, Scott Pianowski of uh, Roto Arcade, Yahoo Sports Fantasy. And uh, Scott, I guess my first question for you is, do you look as good in brown and, and gold as Dave Winfield? Well, I hope you asked Dave Winfield if he's as versatile as Scott Pianowski. I mean, we know Winfield was drafted in three major sports, but I think I've played like six or seven different fantasy sports. So I think I might have the versatility edge on the Hall of Famer. He's only been on like, he only plays on one team a season, right? You play on dozens. So oh, There's no off season for fantasy. Yeah, well, Win- Winfield must have had 
you know, at least 10 or 15 days a year where he had nothing to do. You know, it doesn't <laughs> in our up. world. But not, up, not a bad guest. If you're, if you're going to pair me with somebody, I think Winfield will do. <laughs> Scott, I think, you know, one of the main reasons I wanted to have you back on now is because we're pretty much a month into the year. And that just seems like the – it's a natural – time to look over all of your rosters at least to me i mean it seems like it's the first major point in the season where you could do that um is that what you're currently doing right now are you just pouring over all your teams and getting nerdy about it well i I guess to me we're we're really close to that line in the sand i'm I'm gonna look at my teams pretty much daily anyway but the question that people always ponder in fantasy and in real baseball is when does the season have meaning when can we look at the bank and numbers and say this fast start may actually be a pretty good player. This player off to a slow start, may, maybe he's in trouble, maybe he's hurt, maybe there's something more here. I, I, I'm not sure that April 28th is the date for that, but it's getting pretty close. I think your fantasy standings by maybe the second week of May, it, where you are probably is, is very representative of the cluster you're going to be for the majority of the season, bearing anything really catastrophic happening. So I, get, I think we're getting really close to the statistics, the standings, what we see, having enough meaning that maybe we'll start to act on some stuff that you never would have done two or three weeks ago. Yeah, and I guess at, at what point, how, how difficult is that? Because for me, working at Fangraphs before I, I came to Yahoo and learning about small sample and all that, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm supposed to not overreact to a month of the season. And yet, I watch my team every day and somebody will strike out and I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta get rid of this guy. I gotta bench him. And I know that that's just a complete overreaction. I think it might speak more to the other extreme where you look back at past seasons and people who have swung fantasy seasons in baseball, the guy who got Jose Batista the year he broke out, the guy who got J.D. Martinez when he broke out a couple of years ago, the guy who got Charlie Blackman when he became a regular in Colorado. I want to look at players who it seems like for it, I'll give you a good example of a guy who I believe in who has off to a fast start, although the average isn't super high. Colby Rasmus has hit a bunch of home runs for the Astros. And in the case of Rasmus, you can look at his strikeout rate has come down a little bit. His walk rate has improved significantly. He's done some different things with his mechanics and approach at the plate that date back to the end of last season. He had a really strong playoffs. I think this, and we also know that, and you're right, small sample is something we always have to be mindful of. And we're never going to be confident about anything until we've seen it in a larger sample. But uh, walk and strikeout rate are two of the stats that stabilize quicker for hitters and some of the other numbers. And when I see, one of the things I'm always looking at is, do I see a a significant change in a player's walk rate or strikeout rate? A lot of times that can be a good tip off to a fast or slow start being more real than you might think. In the case of Rasmus, I I bought into him. I've actually traded for him in a couple of leagues. I'm in one very, very thin mixed league uh, head to head where he was unowned maybe two weeks ago. I picked him up. I think Colby Rasmus is going to have his best season to date. And I'm encouraged by not only the fast start, but by some stats that I think we can trust quicker than some other stats. Scott, this is where I'm going to come to you from. Total hypothetical here. Okay. Let's say you're in a couple of leagues and you're not doing very well. Like, like you know, your performance is, is I would say, down towards the bottom. Hypothetically speaking, not this is not about me at all. Um, <laughs> like, what, what should that person, I mean me, what should that person be doing... Who should they be looking for? What kind of players should should that person I try to grab? How, how bad is the situation, Mike? I mean, we're, <laughs> we're just we're just talking here. I, I'm not even sure anybody's recording this, so <laughs> you, you can tell us. 
Uh, I mean, things are things, things have not worked out. Let's say as, as good as I have hoped. Um, well, a lot I'm, of times, it, it, you know, you have to look at the way the standings are. Where where you actually lie in certain categories? Could you move up significantly with with maybe just a good week of performance? Uh, how clustered are the different counting stats? Is it a case of uh, you know, maybe you could be second to last in RBIs, but you're only 10 RBIs away from third or fourth place. I and mean, sometimes the stats will be that close where I think you, you can't really trust them that much. That's one thing I would look at. I would try to figure out, just self-scout, see you know, what positions am I strong at? What positions am I deep at? Is there somebody who's just coming off the disabled list who's going to help me really soon in a certain area? Do I have any depth that I could trade? I, I found myself in, in one league, one mixed league, where I had a bunch of first basemen and third basemen who I thought were playable to the point that I wasn't playing guys like Travis Shaw every week. So it was a case of, okay, I, I got to start moving some of these guys for players that would make my outfield better or would make my starting rotation better. So I, the first thing I would try to do is be really, and I know this is a very general answer, but just to try to be really honest with myself about what I thought I had on roster, what I didn't, where my depth was, where I was particularly thin or shallow, and then get a sense of what is, what's the composition of the waiver wire. Is, is it, in some leagues, it's tend to cluster with the starting pitchers. People don't want to touch them because maybe it's an innings cap or something like that. In other leagues, maybe it's a one-catcher league. There's a ton of good catchers on the waiver wire. You may think of even picking one up as a utility or because he plays a different position. Maybe not so much in 2016. We've had a lot of trouble finding catchers who can hit. But you want to start scouting your own team, strengths and weaknesses, see what the waiver wire strengths and weaknesses are. And then you go hunting for somebody who matches up with you, who has a maybe a different composition of roster that you know, they need hitting you have hitting they need pitching you know they need a certain position that type of thing and you see if because to be a successful trader a, a big part of that is trying to figure out what other people are thinking and what other people need and how you can make a mutually beneficial trade who are a couple guys again this hypothetical person we're talking about who's not doing well who are, who are a couple guys that are largely unowned um, on waiver wires that maybe we should be looking out for one second, let me call up. Uh, let me look at some of the current pickups. You know, one guy's busting out actual data on us, actual facts. Here's a guy whose percentage, owner percentage, has lagged. And I'm curious what you guys think of him. Rick Porcello is a player because he's been around for six or seven years now and has produced at a certain level. I think people have stopped factoring in any upside to Rick Porcello, but his walk strikeout rate is so good right now. I know it was boosted by the Braves in his last start. But he's also done it against good teams. He's won four straight games. You don't necessarily care about the wins so much. You want the quality innings and let the wins fall where they may. He's been too good for too long now for me to write it off as a fluke. I I think Porcello, even in that American League East, I typically don't like to have starters from that division. He's somebody who can be picked up in a lot of leagues. Hector Santiago with the Angels. He's a high fly ball pitcher, and a lot of times I think people misunderstand what that means. If any pitcher um, shows a lot of uh, bias in his ground ball or fly ball rate in either direction, it's actually good. It's the guys in the middle who you worry about more. Now, granted, if you can keep the ball on the ground, we, we know the advantages of that because it's not going to leave the park. But having a high fly ball rate actually isn't that bad of a thing. Santiago pitches in a park that he can, he can get away with that. It's a division where there's a lot of soft landing spots. The big park in Oakland, we know Seattle is not a great place to hit. Even Texas, favoring offense is not quite to the extreme it was a few years ago. I think Hector Santiago is significantly unowned in Yahoo leagues, and, or maybe somebody that may be undervalued by his owner. He thinks he's selling high. I think he's going to be a fantasy factor all season. All right, well, you mentioned it right there. I mean, selling high is 
also a big part of this. Who are some of the guys, uh, if you owned, you'd be really looking to get rid of before the bottom drops out? I'm not going to say the bottom's going to drop out, but I just don't <laughs> believe that Trevor Story is, is going to hit 40 home runs. He strikes out far too much, and we know with the Colorado situation, as great as their home games are, they have to go on the road and deal with the, you know, the, the breaking pitches don't move as much as Colorado, then they go on the road, and it kind of screws up their road stats. You see it with guys who leave Colorado, where I think it's a mistake to assume their road profiles, who they are, and then their their stats kind of normalize on the road when they go somewhere else. Story's hit too many home runs now for me to not think he's not going to get 25 or 30, but I think he's going to come with a negative average. I'm not sure how much he's going to run. I'm not sure if they're going to let him hit second all year because of the strikeout problems he has. I've seen some pundits who think he's a top 50, top 60 player. The moment I could trade Trevor Story for somebody... Uh, Trevor Story might be good for the majority of the season, but the moment I could trade it for somebody I'm confident will be good, I would have no problem making that trade. I, I've seen some crazy stuff floated to me on Twitter, and uh, you know, Story's a, a, a nice narrative. Uh, we've had fun with it. Obviously, Colorado, great place to hit. And he's hit the ball to all fields, too, which is encouraging. That opposite field home run he hit off Granke on, I think it was opening day. He's hit a couple of balls really well to the opposite field in Colorado. Actually, been robbed by that new fence. He, he could easily have a couple more home runs. But I worry about the strikeouts. I think he's going to hurt your average. He hasn't been around the block yet, and we'll have to deal with the road schedule, which as much as Colorado's awesome, some of it is given back. It's still a net plus, of course. You want Colorado offensive players. But Trevor Story, I think, is going to go significantly down in, in the fantasy uh, rankings from, from here on out. I would still be looking to try to sell on him. To go along with that, Scott, who uh, the opposite, who would you say are some of the, the buy lows? We talked about people that probably on the waiver wire, but is there anybody from like a trade standpoint that you would like have your eye on and like, hey, I think I can get that guy pretty cheap. Uh, I think he'd be a good investment. I still believe in Dallas Keuchel. I, I know he's never going to be a huge strikeout guy. Last year might be the extent of what he can do in that department, but he gets a ton of ground balls. He gets a ton of weak contact. Now, he's actually getting less ground balls and less weak contact this year, but the numbers aren't down so significantly that I'm alarmed there. And he's had four of his five starts on, at, at, on the road. Last year, Keiko's numbers were so much better at home. I mean, to the point that you'd have to put them in the unsustainable category. I think he went 15-0 and at home. I mean, that, you know, he's never going to do that again. Better than a strikeout per inning and ERA somewhere in the ones. But Keiko to me, is still a top 15, top 20 pitcher. Maybe he's not going to be in the Cy Young contention for the second straight year. But I see a lot of people getting concerned about him. I actually did a Twitter poll What's your level of concern on Keuchel? I gave four different options, and, and the results were very even, where there's a, an equal amount of people who were paranoid and petrified about Keuchel as people who weren't worried at all. So I think there's a reasonable chance in your league you may have a Keuchel owner who's concerned. Maybe he hasn't realized that Keuchel's made four of his five starts on the road, although I would like to think people would know stuff like that, but maybe they're not quite aware of those splits. Maybe they didn't own them last year. Uh, to me, Keuchel is, is still going to be somebody you set and forget, use the rest of the season. He'll get just enough strikeouts to matter, even if innings are capped or starts are capped in your league. I think it's a good time to try to get in on him right now. So, Scott, I think one of the things that's changed a lot about fantasy is in the past, if you were smart enough, you were able to pick up a lot of these top prospects um, before anyone really knew who they were. I feel like we don't live in that era anymore. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows about guys like... Uh, Sean Manea, who was just called up and is going to start Friday for the A's. Uh, and it, it seems like you have to get these guys a week or two before the announcement even comes. So who are some of those guys that you kind of have in the back of your mind, you know are probably getting called up at some point uh, later this season, but you're, you're keeping an eye on right now? 
there's a few guys who come into the category. And you're right. I, I do think that has shifted where you, you had some time where you could see them come up, maybe even see them perform a little bit. Now that's gone. Now, when there's rumors of a call up, a lot of times the waiver wire gets kicking and, and the moment they've been called up, for for example, uh, when Barrios was called up, he wasn't available in any of my leagues by the time he threw his first pitch yesterday. I think he's going to be do really well. I know he didn't have a great start yesterday, but uh, between the weather and, and the, the rain and you know, who knows, he's 21 years old, maybe he had a little bit of jitters in his first major league start, but I'm still very high on him. I think they need to pitch him and uh, I would hold, I wouldn't be at all thrown by the fact that he had a mediocre first start. Uh, Lucas Giolito is probably the best pitching prospect in baseball. Washington Nationals, they're a team that certainly going to try to put their best team on the field. I think that means we'll see him at some point. Trey Turner will probably be their second baseman at some point. Dusty Baker, uh, not so much Baker, but Davey Lopes in Washington. We're seeing stolen bases could be more of a factor with this offense. Bryce Harper's already stolen five bases this year, and we know Harper can do everything else. You could even argue that Harper shouldn't be running because he's so valuable to the team in other ways. But uh, Turner and Giolito, two guys I'm very interested in. Pittsburgh, we know Ray Searidge is his pitching guru. We know they have a good park for pitchers. They have a couple of really interesting prospects in Tyler Glasnow and Jameson Tyon coming off the Tommy John surgery. I think we'll see Glasnow first. I, th- I think he'll be up before the All-Star break. He'd be somebody in a mixed league I would want to jump in on as soon as I could. And one other player that I think is really interesting right now because he's going in the other direction. We saw Byron Buxton basically strike out for the entire month of April, and the, the Twins finally just kind of shrugged and said, we got to send him down, rebuild his confidence. Remember what happened last year where uh, Rudnett Odor had the same situation in Texas. A lot was expected. He got off to a poor start. They send him down. He went down to the minors and tore it up. He hit, I think, over 400 in a couple of weeks, got his confidence back, went back to Texas and was great. A couple of years ago, Colton Wong was that guy in St. Louis. He got off to a poor start. He wasn't quite the prospect that maybe a Buxton was, but uh, he got off to a poor start, needed to go down in the minors, you know, got the confidence back, worked on some mechanical mechanical things. He was a really good fantasy player in the second half of the season. I think fantasy owners, I want to. if you're in a league where Buxton was dropped or in a league that maybe doesn't make sense to hold guys who aren't in the majors right now, I want you to really closely watch what he does at AAA. And, and if he starts off quickly – I think he's somebody I'm going to want to be out in front of the Buxton store. I know it, as bad as he's looked, that sometimes you know, everybody has their different development curve. Everybody has just their different path to being a viable player. There's too many things in Buxton's corner. I think the team certainly believes in him. He's 22 years old. He has plus, plus speed right now. He just needs to get the ball in the bat in the ball a little bit more often. Even if he just hits for a reasonable average and the power doesn't come yet, I, he's going to steal so many bases. I feel great about him. I don't have any shares of Buxton right now, but I can guarantee you this. If he goes on any kind of a three or four game tear in the minor leagues, I'm going to pick him up before the Twins even talk about Buxton. (laughs) I think he's going to be back. I think he's going to be a factor this year for fantasy. And so just make sure you're you're monitoring that because it could be a case of what Odor did last year or what Wong did a couple seasons ago. Scott, I I always enjoy the, the culture and camaraderie that comes with fantasy baseball so that, that's kind of where this question is coming from we all like to laugh at obscene trade proposals so what, what's the worst trade proposal you've gotten so far this year i had billy hamilton in it um you, you, know, you and billy hamilton man <laughs> you know what, what this is the general theme of the of the insulting trade offer is the person who thinks that they can trade you two or three players that they just picked up or borderline ownable in their league and, and you'll trade them you know, a star player. You know, maybe maybe not Bryce Harper, but you'll you'll trade them somebody who was taken in the first or second round. You know, Josh Donaldson for 
these three guys that they picked up a week ago. <laughs> and that, that may work in, in leagues where people don't really know what they're doing. But generally, the, the smarter owners are always looking to take players they're not using or take a good player and another okay player and get a great player out of it. Everybody knows that's generally what you want to try to do. Put the best starting line if you can on the field. Now, there are some leagues that maybe there's a transaction cap or maybe it's hard to pick up players or maybe there's certain conditions that may make depth more important to you. If you're in an American League only or a National League only league, you could conceivably trade a star player for two or three starting caliber players because you don't have anybody literally who fills in certain spots. But most people are playing mixed leagues. I think that the most common Yahoo format is probably a 12-team mixed league. In those leagues, you can always find starters at any position, even the weaker positions, on the wire. So the guy who thinks he can just trade you two or three okay players and get one of your stars back, I mean, that, that's like a manual dexterity test. You're just making sure you don't hit accept by mistake because it's generally not a good idea. <laughs> All right, Scott, I have a game for us to play here. Uh, I'm hoping to get your opinion on a couple specific players. And sure. so I'm just going to call it, do you buy them? And we'll do scale of one to 10. Uh, one being you don't buy their current performance at all. Ten being you're all in. Okay. So um, I'm hoping we can kind of go through these pretty quickly uh, since there's a lot of guys. And let's start with Matt Harvey. He's an eight or a nine. I, I, encouraging start last night. Obviously in a great league for a pitcher. Power stuff. I, I just think he just needs a, a little time just to get in tune. I, I very low concerned about Harvey so I, you know I'm not going to give him the 10 but an 8 or a 9 for Harvey uh, what about David Price I, I give Price say an 8 I just don't like his division I think Fenway is, is going to bite him at some point obviously he's not going to face the Braves very often he may not see Atlanta again so the, the 14 strikeouts enjoy it while it was there but too much of a resume and also with Price by the way far and away his worst month as a pro has been April and I, sometimes monthly splits, I don't know if they mean anything. What, what does it mean that somebody's best month maybe is July? I, I don't know how you could necessarily apply that to something. But in the case of Price, maybe it's just a matter of, of getting fresh to the season, getting warm, getting your all your pitches in line. I, I think there might be something to that. I prefer to have my pitchers in the National League, but David Price is going to be a top 15 guy with, with a little difficulty. I mean, he's fine. I feel like I've given you two easier ones. So what about Carlos Gomez? Yeah, that's a good one because I am worried about Gomez. I would say my concern, he's a one or a two. One and a half, we'll call it. We'll split the difference. Remember, he hasn't hit at all since he joined the Astros. He's big spikes in his walk and strikeout rate in the wrong direction. Remember, the Mets walked away from a trade at the trading deadline. They didn't like the medicals on Gomez. Uh, he's, a, he's a player that probably was drafted maybe in the fourth, fifth, or sixth round in Yahoo leagues. If I could get anything close to that, I'd maybe go down a round or two or – if you could get somebody who's a top 10 round player for Gomez, that would be a trade I'd be doing right now. Uh, what about he pitches Thursday night, Kenta Maeda? Big believer. Give him an eight. Uh, batters haven't seen him. I think that favors Maeda. We know he's in a favorable park for a pitcher. We know he has a really good pitch framer in Yasmani Grandal. You know, keep him out of Colorado, which I would do with, with most pitchers, obviously. But you're going to go to San Francisco, going to go to San Diego. Those are good places to work. I don't have any shares of Maeda, and it frustrates me. A lot of times I've had Japanese pitchers. I had a lot of Nomo when he broke out. I had a lot of Iwakuma when he became a guy in Seattle. I don't have any Maeda, but I think he's the real deal. Uh, someone I wrote about recently who's just striking out a ton is Justin Upton. 
what do you think about him so far? He's been consistent over his career, but he's been awful. Yeah, I'd say he's not quite the Gomez level, but I'd say he's three or four. Uh, moved down the lineup, maybe that'll be good for him. It really didn't fit for him to hit second because he doesn't make any contact. But big boost in those strikeouts. I think he's striking out about 40% right now. He's not walking at all. A lead change for him. And maybe I wonder if maybe there's something to the cold weather. You look at where he's played. He's played in Atlanta. He's played in Arizona. He's played in San Diego. Those are obviously all climate-controlled areas. Now he's he's in Michigan, and I can speak to Somebody who lives in suburban Detroit, I, I know it hasn't been the greatest of weather. It's pretty cold out today, a little rainy, a little bit raw. But I, the, the big strikeout spike and the, the dip in walks concerns me. He was probably a third or fourth round pick in most Yahoo leagues. I might take 90 cents or 95 cents on the dollar for up to I'm not having a fire sale. I'm not giving the guy away. But I'd be interested. If somebody made me an offer that piqued my interest, I would. in fact, I actually made a trade. It wasn't Rasmus for... For Upton, but I made a bigger trade that included those two players, me trading Upton, me trading Rasmus, thinking I might have been selling before the bottom came out on Upton and feeling that Rasmus's start was more real than the other guy did. I feel like you might have the same answer for both of these guys, so I'm just going to bundle them. Uh, Zach Grinke and Chris Archer. Yeah, they're they're both uh, eights. Uh, Grinke, he's going to miss you know the pitch frame he had with Grandal. Castillo isn't anywhere near as good as it. We know that Arizona is obviously a good place for a hitter, and, and L.A. is a good place for a pitcher, but Greggies has too long of a resume that I'm not going to be concerned about him. And the thing with Archer, at least he's striking out a ton of guys. I know you, you worry some, sometimes with a heavy slider use pitcher. Some people are worried that he's not maybe the sturdiest guy, he's, even though he's a pretty tall pitcher, but he's too much stuff, too, too many things in his arsenal. And also, we learned in the playoffs last year, when he was announcing just what a smart guy he is. And uh, Bill James has talked about the best pitchers are usually the smartest pitchers. And, and Granke and Archer are great examples of that, very methodical guys. Granke's been one of the pitchers who's embraced sabermetrics and embraced you know kind of the science of pitching and maybe taken it a step or two further than a lot of guys do. Uh, these guys have – but the best thing, of course, is that they throw the, the baseball really well. I mean, it's one thing to be smart, but if you have ordinary stuff, you're Brian Bannister. You know, and these guys are smart, but they have tremendous wipeout stuff. Uh, I feel very confident that they'll both be top 12 to top 15 pitchers the rest of the way. I agree with you. However, there's, there's another guy I'm worried about who has the long track record, but age and stuff is now a bit of a question, and that's Adam Wainwright. Are you concerned? Yeah, you know, I am, and I hate to say it, he's been one of my very favorite pitchers, one of my five favorite pitchers maybe to watch over the last 10 years, and another guy who's super smart and athletic. We saw it last night. He had a big uh, basis-clearing triple to break that game open, but the strikeouts have gone down. He's always been somebody who's had to rely on placement and on guile and on variety of pitches more than a great fastball, even though he is 6-7. Man, I don't think he's going to be – I think he's going to be outside the top 50 at the end of the year, and I hate to say that. I have him in a couple of leagues where you're in no man's land. You can't trade him now because nobody wants to give you anything for him. It's hard to trust him. I think I, in one league I benched him and one league I used him. But the, the league I used him, it was a head-to-head league where almost any pitcher who's, who's, who's not terrible is worth it just for the chance of a win, just for the chance of the volume, some strikeouts. I'm really nervous where the velocity is right now. I'm really nervous where the strikeout rate is. We know he missed last most of last season. It wasn't an arm-related injury, so generally that can – you know, you kind of blow off those sorts of injuries. You think he'll be, he'll be fine, but he's getting into an age pocket and a velocity pocket that makes me very nervous. So I'm going to say I'm about uh, two and a half on Wainwright. I am very concerned. All right, and I have two more for you. One is 
the well, the first would be Gregory Polanco, a guy, top prospect. People expected a breakout for a while. Now it seems like maybe he's finally delivering. Do you buy into that? I'd say a seven. I'd like to see a little bit more power, but um, he's off to a good start. He's running. He's in a Pirates lineup that's probably deeper than I think a lot of people realize. And once Kong comes off the DL and you put him in that lineup, they'll be even better than that. They have an underrated catcher in Cervelli who's an on-base machine. We know how good McCutcheon is. Josh Harrison looks like he's healthy and productive again. I think Polanco being part of that will help. He's got the contract solidified. He knows he's going to be in Pittsburgh for a while. He hasn't had maybe a, a huge start to the season, but you see in the nooks and crannies, you see improvement. I'm going to say a seven. I believe in Polanco. I'm not hog wild for the guy. I don't have any shares of him, but this is a, a team that I believe in, a lineup I believe in, certainly a prospect pedigree I believe in, and the Pirates are right there because they paid up for Polanco, so that's solidified. And it, it doesn't hurt to know that you're going to be in a certain city for a while. That, that We know they've offered him the contract before in the past. He passed it up. I mean, you wonder if maybe that could have been hindering or retarding his progress. But I think Polanco is a top 30, top 35 outfielder. If he's your second outfielder, that's okay. If he's your third outfielder, you've done really well. All right, and the, the last guy is someone who, when I looked at draft boards a month ago, I just kind of shrugged. I feel like I'm still doing that even though the performance has been really solid. Rich Hill, I don't know what to do with him, so you tell me. I don't know what to do with him is a good answer for <laughs> Chill. I mean, he, he's in his mid-30s. He was completely off the radar, had a terrific run late last season, but it was such a tiny sample. I don't know how we could ever take anything serious from it. You like that he went to Oakland, the big park. He's left-handed. He's got that gorgeous curveball. I'm going to give him a six, meaning I believe in him more than I don't believe in him, but Again, he had so many years where he wasn't anywhere near our fantasy rosters. I didn't know what to do with him either. I, I never came close to drafting him. I haven't even used him in DFS. I've just been kind of sitting this one out. But you know, he comes into Detroit. That's a lineup really overly right-handed. They could use a left-handed hitter other than Victor Martinez, who's a switch hitter. And he looked terrific against that lineup. And he's, again, that AL West is a really, if you have to have AL pitchers, the, the West is the place to be. Oakland has all that fall territory, and then you have you know, the Angels, you know, other than Trout, Pujols, and there's so many guys in that lineup people may not even recognize. There's a lot of dead spots in the Seattle lineup as well. I don't, I still don't have him. I guess the people who own Hill right now, he's probably a forced hold. You'd like to sell high on him, but who's going to believe in him? I mean, nobody really knows what to do, so you're kind of locked into keeping him on your roster. I'm going to give him a six, and I know that isn't much of an answer, but I don't really know what to do with Rich Hill either. Yeah. Well, in the in the interest of not being self-serving, since I've asked you about some players I have in leagues, uh, you know, Mike, I want to give you an opportunity to maybe get some inside information while you can. My question was just, what does it mean if you have a bunch of the guys that Chris just named off? Like, <laughs> probably not good, huh? Well, we mentioned some fast starters and some slow starters. That, that isn't really that big of a deal. I, the, the thing with fantasy, with player evaluation and trying to figure out what things mean is that Whenever a pitcher is performing more poorly than we expected or is really off to a terrible start, you always panic that he's hurt. You always panic that something's wrong. And there's no exact what I mean, the first the first things we look at, I'm curious what you guys look at. I mean, we always look at velocity. You always look at who did the performances come against. Was it you know, was there an extreme park in play? Did they just meet up with the wrong lineup at the wrong time? Did inherited runners score when he's out of the game? You bullpen you could maybe blame for some of it. Did you know sometimes a lot of times it's a case of you know, cheap hits falling in, you know, they're hitting the ball hard off them, that type of thing. But pitchers are always going to be the most frustrating part of fantasy because good pitchers can go bad. 
at no reason. And sometimes guys we don't think are good can become great. I mean, Cliff, Cliff Lee was came up was a good pitcher, then was a really bad pitcher for two or three years, and then all of a sudden he was a Cy Young Award winner. Look at Dallas Keuchel's stats the early part of his career. I think his ERA was over five for two straight seasons. Nobody thought anything of Dallas Keuchel, and then you know he got a little bit more swing and miss stuff. He had this great ground ball rate. He turned that into a Cy Young season. Jake Arrieta on the on the Orioles. You know, we were having this podcast five or six years ago. His name would never come up in a positive light. He left Baltimore. <laughs> they have a really good pitching coach in Chris Bazio. He added that that slider cutter, you know, the slutter that he throws. He's in terrific shape, of course. And now Arietta, probably the number two pitcher in fantasy. And if somebody said they preferred Arietta to Kershaw, all I could say is that you know you might be right. I mean, the, the guy almost never pitches badly now. So it just shows you how volatile pitching can be. And even when we think we have our handle on on a guy, we don't really know the answer. Let me let me turn it on you guys. I'll, I'll ask you a player. We're being asked about a ton of fantasy. There's a lot of difference of opinion. What's your concern about Felix Hernandez, who didn't have a great season last year, and he's off to a mediocre start so far? Mr. Seattle, Chris Wick, you want to? Yeah, really. You're putting me on the spot now. Yeah, I, I guess my, my concern with Hernandez is mostly just the innings on his arm at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I think we've seen that – He's smart enough and good enough to adapt despite diminished stuff the last couple seasons. I, you know, I, I guess I'm not concerned that he's walking a ton of guys um, at this point, but this, this kind of gets back to what you, what you said before. I mean, what I like to do with pitchers is sometimes um, I love the numbers. I love to look at the, the stat line and all that stuff. Um, sometimes I just need to watch them. If I have them on a team and I'm wondering what to do with them, um, like, I have Jay Happ in a league, and I don't know if he's actually been good or not. And so I just kind of plan to sit around and watch him and see if he's actually hitting his spots and, like you had said, if if hits are falling in. So um, I admit I, I don't have Hernandez in any leagues. I haven't watched him a ton this year. Um, but just based on track record, I, I guess I'm not panicking, but I do worry about the innings on his arm. You know, two guys that I link together, uh, Hernandez uh, being one of them and Justin Verlander being another one, I think they're cases of guys who could just blow people away earlier in their career, but they're both very smart. They both have a variety of good pitchers. Felix is Arsenal is terrific. I mean, he could never throw another fastball the rest of his career. <laughs> I still think he could get people out. It's just, in the case of both of these guys, it's part of it is just recalibrating what the new normal is for them. I don't think, it's certainly with Verlander, I don't think he's going to contend for a Cy Young ever again in his career. But if he can have an ERA maybe in the 3-3 to 3-5 range with a reasonable strikeout rate, a decent chance of wins on that team, as fluky as wins can be, I'm fine with that. And with, with Felix, his off-speed pitches are so good. The curveball, the changeup, and he's such a smart pitcher. I think he's going to find a way to be, again, maybe his ERA is in the, in the low threes. Maybe he's like 3-1 to 3-2. It's not the wipeout stuff that we thought you know, in previous seasons. It used to be that Felix Hernandez could be your best pitcher in fantasy. Now you probably want him as a number two or number three if you get lucky enough to do that. But I think he's just too smart and has too much of a variety of stuff in his arsenal to not figure it out and not be maybe a little bit better than he's been so far. It seems to me, Scott, like he's, he's almost like a, if we can flip sports real quick, he's almost like a running back who you know, isn't, isn't the top three type guys, but is, if you have him on your team, he's still going to produce for you. You know, may not be like kind of the jaw-dropping, you know, player de jour of the week. But I, I think the, I can go back to one of the points you said. I think playing in the AL West helps him a lot. Um, I, w- I would not I would not feel bad about owning Felix Hernandez at this point, especially considering some of what's going on with my fantasy teams at the moment. 
Right, and that's the way I felt about Verlander, too. He got rocked two or three starts ago, and I wasn't concerned. And since then, he's pitched really well. He had a tough luck loss last Friday, and then they actually did score for him last night. The strikeouts have been there. He's also a guy, he's always, as, as much as people would talk about the radar gun with, with Furlander, he's always had a great curveball, and he's one of the smartest guys you're ever going to meet. So uh, I feel I feel good about those guys. I think the problem is you just got to have people in front of them. You need Verlander to be in the middle of your staff. Where he could, in the past, he could be the number one guy. And I think Felix now, it, it's not an insult to say somebody's a top 20 pitcher instead of a top 10 pitcher, because look at how many great pitchers we have. I and mean, we, we somehow went this whole pod without talking about Centergard, uh, who, who may be the best pitcher in baseball at the moment. I mean, uh, you know that staff is so good. So it's just a case of there, there's at the top end, there may be twenty to twenty five guys who could who could be borderline aces. When in the past that that list might have been seven, eight, ten deep. All right, Scott. Well, we, we appreciate your time. I hope that next time we talk to you, which which should be soon, my fantasy teams will be in a better spot, and I can report back that um, I'm in a much better mood about these things. So. Well, Here's maybe, hoping, you know, I Here's mean, you, you're so close to the Fresno Grizzlies. I mean, I, I assume you must have uh, Tyler White on your team. I do not. I do not have Tyler White on my team, no. You're holding up for A.J. Reed. He's got a lot of shares of A.J. Reed, maybe. <laughs> okay. Well, there's, there's, and by the way, somehow we didn't bring up A.J. Reed when we talked about prospects. Uh, there's another guy. I mean, look at his minor league stats sometimes, the Houston uh, first base prospect. They just look like a misprint. They look like somebody, you know, <laughs> the, the computer is broken or the calculator is broken or if a cat stepped on the keyboard or something, that guy, I do think they're going to find a place for White to stick in the lineup. But A.J. Reed is going to give us, I think, three or four excellent months in Houston. I don't have any of them either, and so it's frustrating. I mean, in most of the leagues I'm in, I probably couldn't even grab them now if I wanted to. But I think Houston is all – I think they're pot committed to this season. I know they've gotten off to a poor start, but I don't think they're just going to shrug and say, well, we'll get ready for next year. I think they want to win right now, and I, I think we're going to see A.J. Reed probably before June 1st. All right, well, I'll mark that one on my calendar. All you listeners, you, you can do that too, or you can act quickly. But, Scott, thanks for joining us, man. Hopefully uh, people will seek you out on, on Roto Arcade and, and Yahoo Sports Fantasy, Twitter, everywhere else. Uh, so thanks for your time. We really appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Stacks hit us at the matches. Rex hit us at the matches. Pax hit us at the matches. Gax hit us at the matches. Vert dipping through traffic. I'm getting better, I'm at practice. I'm working every day crafting. Welcome back to the Stew Pod. Mike Oz and Chris Luke here with you. Chris, uh, I gotta 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 give big shots out. We had some good guests this week. Dave Winfield and Scott Pianowski. Uh, apologies to my man Bad News Ramen, who got uh, I told him he could have the day off today. I said I said he's been he's been playing like Seven games straight, man. Time to take a breather. He'll be back next week. It's like, how could you be mad about getting bumped for an all, for a Hall of Famer? You know, <laughs> you can't. You got to respect that. You do. You do. Um, <laughs> I don't know that he went off on like a uh, Tyler Collins type type tantrum, but I did want to talk about that. Um, for anybody who doesn't know the name, you at least might know the story. Tyler Collins was the I say was because he's not even there anymore. The Detroit Tigers outfielder who missed the ball in the lights. Uh, got booed, which I mean, maybe you can debate that. Uh, and then he just proceeded to flip off the fans, and, and it looked like, uh, even though we're not lip readers, say some foul words to them. So, Chris, my, my question to you on this is, um, what, what what would be the proper punishment for that? I mean, he got sent down, and the, the Tigers said it wasn't because of that. But, I mean, he wasn't a, a you know regular in their lineup anyway. Um, so, you know, that, that doesn't really count. But, I mean, that could be your answer. What, what what should have the punishment been for Tyler Collins? 
Uh, I feel like the punishment is possibly still coming and in the form of a large fine from the commissioner's office. Uh, I don't expect there to be any suspension or anything like that, but you can't really do that type of thing. And I feel like Rob Manfred is probably not happy that a player did it in a game, and I think you want to deter that type of behavior. So I still think a fine's coming. Can I, can I give you my uh, non-traditional punishment? Go for it. Make him go clean up all the uh, junk in the stadium. Like, give the like, make him go pick up everybody's hot hot, uh, hot dog wrappers and sodas and all that. I think that'd be funny. I and think wear a GoPro man. while he does it. Yeah. I think that's pretty cruel. Yeah. I don't know. All right, we've yammered I, enough this week. I think I think we're done. Um, stay tuned to Big Leagues Two for all your baseball needs. Uh, tell your friends about the podcast. Rate and review, all that kind of stuff. Chris, tell them where to go. Go to iTunes, type in StewPod under the podcast area, and just leave us five stars, maybe a nice review, and we will forever be grateful to you. This has been the StewPod, everybody. We will see you next week. Bye-bye.